Shepard. Chinatown night here. And I live not too far from Chinatown, actually. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Chinatown is in New York City, and uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about Chinatown, if you don't mind. Uh, to begin with, uh, you know, you probably... Uh, China is really in the news these days, I'll tell you. I, am, I don't recall, though, when China wasn't in the news, as a matter of fact. As long as I can remember in my lifetime... Uh, China has been always in the news. Do you agree? Oh, yes. Well, that means my lifetime. I don't know about your lifetime. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you live in Brooklyn, about all that's in the news is maybe Brooklyn. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, China is a strange, mysterious, exciting, uh, peculiar place to most people. And that's the truth about Chinatown, too. Uh, it's one of the parts of New York that everybody knows about, and uh, a, an occasional New Yorker even goes to it. And when he goes to Chinatown, generally, it's to go to a Chinese restaurant. This is uh, what the big thing is to go to Chinatown for. However, um, that's only one tiny bit of Chinatown. And uh, my relationship with this part of the city, and uh, let's get you set first geographically, Tonight is Chinatown night on the station, so I'm going to talk about Chinatown. And uh, since I've lived in New York City now, in a, through a large percentage of my adult life, and when I say New York City, I mean New York City, uh, Manhattan, New York City. That's one of the great mistakes that people outside of New York make. They think of New York City as a, well, sort of a combination of Times Square and Broadway. Wouldn't you agree with that? The most people outside I think of New York as kind of Times Square. They think of Broadway. They think of the Empire State Building. And uh, what you're really talking about there is Manhattan. And I think one of the reasons Manhattan is so fantastically interesting is because Manhattan is one of the most curiously international cities in the world. I mean, and it has to be. I've traveled around the world. I've spent time in Paris and London and uh even Cairo, I've spent time in places like uh, Bombay and Calcutta. These are great international cities, Paris. But I don't think there's any city that has the curious uh, polyglot and at the same time segmented and separated quality of Manhattan. And they, they all, a lot of these areas that uh, we talk about, Chinatown, Greenwich Village, Chelsea, all these parts of the city are in what is generally considered the lower part of Manhattan. 
for those of you who don't know much about the geography of Manhattan, anything uh, roughly south of 42nd Street is generally considered the lower part of Manhattan. That's the lower one-third of Manhattan. Uh, from 42nd Street on up to about 60th Street is central Manhattan. And in the central part of Manhattan, you find things like, uh, well, Times Square. You find things like a uh, good part of Central Park. You'll find uh, the famous Fifth Avenue shopping sections and all that, Rockefeller Center and so forth. And then when you get on the, on the upper side of that, then you're going into upper Manhattan. As you go on up, you go through places like on the west side, uh, Harlem, uh, even Yorkville, Yorkville, which is the German section of New York, which is in the 80s. Uh, these are all segmented, very definitely segmented parts of New York. And in fact, in one part of my life, I lived in uh, Yorkville, which is in the German section of New York, which not many people outside of New York know much about, but it's really a fascinating part of New York, if you don't know much about Yorkville. That's up in the 80s, over on the, on the east side, uh, around uh, 85th, 86th, in that area around 1st and 2nd Avenues. That's Yorkville and you'll find a lot of German places. Well, if you were to continue directly south of Yorkville, if you were, say, to go down 2nd Avenue, directly south, uh, just continue right on down, all the way down to the southern end, pretty close to the southern end of Manhattan, you would come to Chinatown. Uh, Chinatown is just south of Greenwich Village. It's a little south. It's south, not much south. It's a little south of Greenwich Village, and it's a, it's a little bit east of Greenwich Village. Now, am I laying it out there for you? It's also a little bit north of the City Hall area. So that's where Chinatown is. Now, everybody's thinking about this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right, right on, right? Okay, now, now, it's not a very large part of the city, but I'll tell you, when you're in Chinatown, you know you're in Chinatown instantly, and not just because of the people. There's a lot of interesting stuff about Chinatown that if you never spend much time down there, you should just take the time off to... I'll never forget going down 2nd Avenue. One of the funniest things I remember about Chinatown is for a long time, in fact, it's only been recently, like in the last six months or so, that this thing disappeared. But on the side of one of the buildings, when you drove straight down 2nd Avenue, on 2nd Avenue, uh, right down in the China, right in the middle of Chinatown, uh, on the side of a building was a tremendous color picture painted. Uh, you know how they paint uh, some, sometimes you'll see uh, political signs. I'm talking about uh, election signs painted, actually painted on the brick. Well, here on the brick was a big picture of Senator Barry Goldwater. Uh, when, you remember when Goldwater was running? Well, well, there was a sign down in Chinatown for a long time. I kept seeing it up on the side of one of these big uh, tenement buildings, you know, big flat brick side of this building, and they had pitch, a picture of, of Goldwater. Well, obviously, this picture had been painted by a, an Oriental artist because Goldwater had curiously Oriental eyes. <laughs> you can imagine a, a Goldwater with vaguely Chinese eyes. Well, did you see that? Have you ever seen that down there? Well, underneath it, of course, was were, were the slogans, you know, for the, for the campaign that Goldwater was running. I don't know what, what, his, what was his slogan, in your heart, you know he's right, something like that. Yeah, something like that. In the deep down inside, something you know he's right. Well, here he was in these Chinese characters, and for a long time... This uh, was up on the uh, up on that wall there, 
Now, I've, I, I have uh, several Chinese friends who have been long time. In fact, one of the one of the people I know who's Chinese is one of my oldest friends in New York. Is a lady who runs a, a couple of very famous Chinese restaurants in the in the in New York, not in Chinatown, but down in the village in the Upper East Side. And of course, she's got many friends downtown. Now, for those of you who uh, have never really spent much time in and around Chinatown, one of the great places in Chinatown, there's a Chinese movie house down there. And have you ever seen a Chinese movie? Well, if you've never seen a Chinese movie. Uh, you're in for an experience. I want to tell you that. Uh, the Chinese, in fact, in general, all Oriental movies are, are, are fascinating. But but uh, down on the, the way down on the Lower East Side, I don't know whether it's still there or not, there used to be a Chinese musical theater. I mean, where, where live Chinese musical theater was done. And you know, the Chinese have a long history of musical theater. Uh, in fact, uh, next to uh, quite probably Italy and Germany, uh, the Chinese have the oldest. Uh, next to, I should say, they probably it goes much deeper, much earlier than the than the German and the uh, Italians. The Chinese have a great Chinese operatic tradition. Now, this uh, it's they don't have the, the word doesn't exactly mean opera, but it's it's a word that means uh, like a Chinese like theater. It's a music theater. And one of my friends, who is a famous Chinese artist, a guy named Dong Kingman, you might have seen it. I'm, sh I'm sure you've seen his paintings because, among other things, uh, Dong, who is originally Chinese-American-born Chinese, who is from uh, San Francisco, that area, but who has spent many, a lot of time, many years, in fact, in and out of the Orient, and the, he's uh, one of these international people. And he's a true internationalist. He's a fantastic cook. You know who one of the great Chinese cooks in, in America is? Uh, oddly enough, is Danny Kaye, the uh, actor. Uh, Danny Kaye is a famous, uh, in fact, he's, he's famous pretty much around the world for his fantastic Chinese cooking. And among other people he learned a lot of it from is my friend Don Kingman, who happens to be one of the world's great watercolorists. He's a, really a sensational, great watercolors. And you've seen his work. But Don and I used to, on Sunday morning, uh, we would go down uh, when, when uh, he w was working. He was working and doing a lot of painting and stuff in and out of this area. And I was, at that time, very active in, in uh, painting and drawing myself. Don and I used to go down, and he's tiny. He's a little man. He's about, uh, oh, I'd say Don is not much more than five feet tall. And he's a fantastic sartorialist. He's a, he's a very elegant man. In fact, I'm... He's been suggested for the ten best dress list from time to time, but uh, yeah, he's one of those elegant little guys with little elegant waistcoats, and and he wears uh, elegant little uh, uh, ascots and all that kind of thing. And and Dong and I used to, on Sunday morning, I'd pick him up. He lives uptown, and we go down to Chinatown to paint. He paints down there. And he paints Mott Street, for example. But he sets it in an oriental setting. He doesn't really paint it as, as Chinatown. He sets it usually in Hong Kong. Because you see, the Chinese have a great tradition of hanging banners. If, if you spend any time in Chinatown, you'll recognize that as you walk down the streets, advertising banners hang down that advertise clothing shops, that advertise, uh, that advertise uh, grocery stores, that advertise almost any kind of thing that's being sold there, but they hang a banner. This is a medieval tradition. 
and it hangs down over the street. Well, Dong loved to paint all these banners and all tremendous different planes and so forth. And he was also a great fanatic on the Chinese musical theater. And since he speaks uh, Chinese, he speaks Mandarin and Cantonese, he, he could get along fine. And uh, one afternoon, we went to a, a Chinese uh, opera down there. It's uh, totally enigmatic. I mean, if, if you, if you want to know, speaking of the enigmatic, this is WOR New York. Hey, uh, here's a note for all of you saver-type people. This is a commercial. Providence Savings Bank in Jersey City, which is the oldest savings bank in New Jersey, has some pretty good news and some bad news. First, the good news. If you have a regular passbook savings account with Provident, you'll be getting 5% a year dividend, which is the very highest allowed by law, credited to your account on the last day of this month and every month 12 times a year. And here's the bad news. If you're not a Provident Savings Bank depositor, you may have an account that pays you less interest and makes you wait for it until the semi-annual or quarterly period. So it makes pretty good sense to get with the Provident good news. Provident Savings Bank wants your savings, whether personal or business, to earn the most in dividends. And so remember, at Provident, uh, you don't have to wait three months or six months for your interest. Your money earns from the very day of deposit and is credited to your account monthly. So uh, open up a Provident Savings account and join over 82,000 people. If you'd like to have some information, a bank-by-mail kit, uh, just write Provident in care of me, Gene Shepard, WOR, New York, 10018. That's Provident, WOR, New York, 10018. And they're a member of the FDIC. Hey, man, there's a little thingy here. If you knew that going to college would change your life, wouldn't it be worth a couple of evenings every week? Uh, I know a lot of guys whose lives have been changed by college, both ways, incidentally. New York Institute of Technology offers more than 150 credit and non-credit courses in many fields. You can begin or continue working toward a degree, or you can take courses to sharpen your skills. And it's a beautiful campus, by the way. It's out in Old Westbury in Long Island. And they have a brand-new Metropolitan Center campus in the sky, which is just across from Carnegie Hall. A new evening semester begins February 10th, and there are still many classes open at hours convenient to almost anybody. You can register in person between now and the 2nd of February at each campus in Old Westbury, New York Tech is just off Route 25A. Come directly to Shore Hall. In New York, it's 888 7th Avenue at 56th Street. Call for further information. Give them a call. In Old Westbury, the number is 516, area code MA63400. And in New York City, it's area 212JU28080. I'll play now. Get, get it on the door one day. So uh, I'm going to give you a record. And uh, he gave me this record was made in China. This is not locally uh, available. It's a Chinese record. If you've ever heard a Chinese record, you're going to hear one now. And it, it is a recording of a Chinese opera. Now, I'm not going to play the whole opera, uh, but the plot gets quite involved. And <laughs> I might point out, of course, if you can get a few words here and there, you might be able to pick it up. But the plot is very involved, and, and, and it's extremely theatrical. When you see this, it's a fantastic theatrical experience. And when the, uh, when the players come out, when the, the curtain is there, you know, and people wait, the players come out, the, the Chinese, what, what would really be the equivalent to our uh, overture, you know, like you will see the overture to Don Giovanni or the overture to uh, La Traviata, 
the Chinese announce the, the, the characters as they, as they come out on stage, all dressed in fantastic costumes, and it's all, uh, it deals with mythology and, and wounded lovers and, then, and defeated knights and all kinds of, you know, just like all opera everywhere, it's, uh, it's very deeply and heavily mythological. I mean, there's always a, the evil baron comes in and, and demands that he weds the, uh, the hero's uh, girlfriend uh, and he'll let them go free from the castle where the dragon has the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, nevertheless, when they introduce the opening of this opera, they have a great opening. The uh, Chinese opera opens this way. As, as they come out, the, the orchestra in the pit, which consists of Chinese musicians, of course, playing Chinese musical instruments, uh, they, they, each character comes on stage, and there's tremendous, as he moves out on stage, they hit gongs and tremendous crashes of fire and lightning among the music. And this is the opening of a Chinese opera. Happens to be the favorite opera of Don Kingman, by the way. is coming out as this goes on. See, they come out and they bow and face each other. It's all ritualistic, very stylistically danced. Well, I would join in on this, uh, but uh, this isn't the version I learned as a kid. on the characters, uh, he says something, and boing, 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 they hit a gun. <laughs> it really starts to get to you after a while. You listen to this enough. to you that this, uh, that this record is, uh, is very old. Uh, well, not that old uh, as far as age is concerned, but it's uh, seen a lot of use and it's been around the world and it did come from China and uh, it, uh, it is a Chinese opera and I'm afraid I can't give you the name of it or who wrote it or when, but uh, this was given to me by Don Kingman. Now, if you'll flip that over, I'd appreciate it. If you'd flip it over, I'll uh, is this boring you? Did you find this interesting? <laughs> you don't often hear Chinese. Uh, I, I'm not so sure that uh, that the President Nixon is going to get the chance to see a Chinese opera. Although uh, this uh, this sort of thing, this this musical tradition in China, uh, is is 
is you know it's 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 oriental it's uh, it's it, the sounds are are alien to the western year and and yet they're not as much as they used to be you know it's funny how uh, how our music uh, i think i think is our our world you know many years ago there was an american politician who uh, advocated something that was considered at the time a very a very uh, revolutionary idea and uh, that was a guy who advocated the term one world you ever heard of this term one world well uh, that was wendell wilkie who uh, ran for the presidency and was from indiana incidentally wilkie and uh, in fact a uh, curious thing about wilkie uh, there are people who are around who are still kind of wendell wilkieites oddly enough in fact right down here not more than two blocks from the station on 40th Street. If you ever walk along these buildings and you look along 40th Street, you go past the library here in uh, Midtown, New York. Well, there's a, a building there that is dedicated to Wendell Wilkie. It's over on the downtown side of 40th Street. Well, that's the man I'm talking about. Well, uh, this uh, this is really actually coming about, I think, in a very curious, slow, painful way. I'm talking about the idea of one world. And it's coming about more through art than through politics, although politics is playing a role in it, too. I think politics generally follow what people themselves basically ultimately want and evolve. But uh, in the last few years, especially in the field of, of rock, uh, there's been a great Oriental influence, primarily through, uh, through India. Uh, the, 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 the sitar, we know... We know a lot of rock groups today use sounds and changes and uh, some, uh, even some chord structures that are basically oriental. Uh, they use a five-tone scale, you know. Uh, the the uh, western scale is an eight-tone, an octave, and uh, the oriental scale is a five-tone scale, which gives a very different set of intervals than we're used to having. And uh, for that reason, uh, oriental music... A few years ago, if you were to play the oriental music on, on the air, it, was, it sounded like gibberish. It sounded like noise to people. But today, it sounds more like music. Have you noticed that? You can really... You, you, and the more you hear it, the more you begin to get accustomed to it until finally you arrive at the point where, and I guess this is where the international man is, is beginning to slowly evolve, your ear doesn't reject anything, really. And this is, I think, a very healthy thing. I think the point uh, where, you know, when, we, when we've arrived at the point where people can listen to Beethoven and at the same time, and let's say the, the next evening, if they want to, they can listen to Ravi Shankar, for example, uh, and, and, that, and recognize the classical quality in both, you know, recognize the great sounds and the great ideas and the, the, uh, the, the flavor of it all. I've always felt sorry for people who are hung on one kind of music, you know, come along and say, I'm rock, or I'm, uh, I'm Dixie, or I'm classic. To me, uh, music is music, and I, and I, and I uh, you know, I, I, I reject uh, some, the bad of any area that I think is bad, and I, I, I dig the good. So maybe that's what is meant by being an international person. But uh, I, I remember going down on the, and getting back to Chinatown, and this specific uh, sound of music. I remember one morning going down to Chinatown to do some painting with uh, Dong, Dong Kingman. He, he has an interesting way of painting. Uh, he, he uses a, a dry brush technique. Now, uh, many watercolors will work with uh, 
you know, they'll soak their, their uh, paper in water and they use a wet brush technique, which is a different technique, but, but Dong uses a dry brush technique and then he uh, once in a while uses areas of the painting which are wet. But uh, we sat down at the base of, of uh, the bridge down there, Brooklyn Bridge, you know, it goes arching over right out of Chinatown. And uh, <laughs> you, you, you sit there and, and we were, we were, he was painting this bridge right from the base of the bridge, but a tremendous painting, like, like this great column was rising right up above us. We were right on the riverfront. And the, the river is, is flowing past us, and you could smell the river. It was early morning. Yeah, the, the, early in the morning, the river smells like fish. It, it, it has a, a, an ocean fish smell, is what you really smell down there. And this great structure of the bridge is rising, a tremendous thing above us, and the sun is hitting it. And Dong is, is sketching this, this uh, bridge with his watercolors. He doesn't use pencil. He's sketching it with, with, his, with his brushes, you see. Now he's, he's got the, the, uh, the, the bridge sort of, but, but he's got it at a wild angle. It's a tremendous thing looming above you. And then he begins to paint, you know, bring the Chinese attitude into it. And so he put, just because he thought it would be groovy, he painted on his painting, he painted posters all over the side of the bridge. You know, on the big base, people looking out, big enigmatic eyes, and one thing or another, really oriental. And uh, underneath it, he painted this little oriental-looking tug. It, it was actually one of the, uh, the the Moran fleet of tugs, but he painted it very oriental. You could see, uh, you know, this, uh, like it had a little sail all over it, uh, you know, a sampan-type sail and so on. So we're sitting there painting this, and uh, all of a sudden, out of the air, you can hear the sound of this Chinese music coming. And there was some guy was opening up his, his uh, you know, like a little uh, grocery store not too far away from where we were painting. A Chinese, by the way, have you ever been to a Chinese grocery store? Well, that is something else. And uh, for any of you who, uh, who want to really have a wild experience when you get out of Chinatown, don't just go into restaurants, but go in the, go in the, in the, uh, in the Chinese grocery stores where they sell specific Chinese things that the Chinese buy for their own cooking. Uh, all kinds of roots and uh, dried uh, dried uh, fruit and dried vegetables and curious things which you never would ever see ginseng root and all kinds of interesting ground roots and, and aromas and fantastic dried uh, uh, things like octopus and dried uh, fish of one kind or another and you go into a chinese uh, a chinese grocery store and that that is is uh, you, you know you're you know you're in the orient and incidentally i've traveled a great deal in the orient in the last few years, and and the thing that interests me about Chinatown here in New York is that of all the areas in New York City, and that includes the Village, and that includes Yorkville, and and uh, it includes uh, well a a all the areas that are, are ethnic in their base. I think Chinatown has retained its original feeling more than any of the others. Do you agree with that on it? On what I've said there? Do you agree with that? But the Chinese are very conservative people. And uh, not only conservative people, they tend to, to, uh, to be together. They, they're, they're, they don't mix as much with outsiders as other ethnic groups do. Certainly not like the Japanese, who are great mixers. Uh, the Japanese are, are fantastically gregarious compared to the Chinese. And I'm making, of course, broad statements that don't apply to individuals, naturally. 
But in general, the, the Chinese tend to protect and to, to develop their culture. They're an almost a, a secretive people. You even see it in their, in their attitude with the Great Wall. The Chinese, you know, were one of the very first people to ever build a wall completely around their country, not only to protect themselves from the outsiders, but to keep their culture inside. So the Great Wall of China is all part of that thing. It's a kind of a family togetherness, and they're very, they're very deeply involved with their, with their own culture. So when you go into Chinatown, you're really in a small part of China. It's very close to the way it is in the Orient. The building shapes may be a little different, but the smells, the signs, the way the people scurry along the streets, the whole feeding. And there, naturally, there is change coming in Chinatown, and has been coming. But this is true in the Orient. That the, the, where you go in the Orient, changes are everywhere that, that are part of the 20th century change. And, of course, this is a you know, world phenomenon. Change is the only constant that any of us will ever know in our lifetimes. But one of the great things about Chinatown, these little incidental touches, and uh, for one thing, would it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it surprise you a little bit to know, I, I, it always surprises outsiders to know that the, that the telephone company, for example, recognizes Chinatown as a special place. So when you go into Chinatown, have you ever seen the Chinese uh, telephone booths down there? Well, Chinatown has phone booths on the street that are like pagodas. They have little pagoda roofs. Yes, they have a little, a little uh, you know, the pagoda roof, a little peaked roof. And so when you go into a phone booth, oh, oh Ma Bell there, when you go into a phone booth in Chinatown, you definitely know you're in a Chinese phone booth, you know, or at least a Chinatown phone booth, because it has a little pagoda roof. which I, That was one of the first things that knocked me out about Chinatown, was to discover this. But uh, Chinatown uh, and, uh, has, has some of the great restaurants in all of uh, America are down in Chinatown. Of course, Oriental restaurants. And they vary. They vary all, all different, different uh, classifications. You can, you can go from classical Chinese banquet cuisine, which the uh, Chinese mostly adhere to on, on big ceremonial occasions like New Year's and, and big anniversaries and so on. You go into some of these places and the Chinese will serve meals that have maybe 25 and 30 courses and go on and on and on. Fantastic meals. Uh, then you'll find uh, the Chinese equivalent of the, of the short order quick lunch. Have you ever gone into a really cheap Chinese joint, which, the, which is the equivalent of a, of a, uh, you know, a, a hash joint? Whether, whether, you know, a Chinese truck driver jumps out and he wants to go in and grab a bite to eat, see? Well, he's not going to go into an elegant Chinese restaurant where they have dragons on the walls and it takes hours to get your food. He goes into a, he goes into a Chinese hash joint and they're great. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you go in there and there's a Chinese menu. It's got, uh, you know, Chinese stuff on one uh, menu on one side and uh, usually English on the other. And, uh... You can order uh, Chinese food, and it comes, and it's uh, it's uh, cooked by a short order cook, and he's knocking it off there. He's back there with his chef's hat, and uh, the, a Chinaman will come in there, and oh, bok choy, I told you, and uh, he says, oh, and he yells back, and the next thing you know, the guy's got his plate of scrambled eggs and uh, green peppers and whatever it is that he's eating, and it's uh, Chinese, very definitely Oriental. So if you want an experience sometime, instead of going to some of the elegant Chinese restaurants, of which there are many down there, and I'm not going to come on with any particular names because uh, Chinese food, by the way, is often like sex. It's a matter of taste. Uh, what is a great Chinese restaurant to one person is a mis mystery to another. Because the Chinese, of course, are, are very personal in their cooking and they're, they're also uh, 
they vary from part of the from the part of the country they come from. So you'll get northern Chinese cooking, which is uh, very different from Cantonese cooking. Uh, Mandarin cooking is not the same as as uh, the the more uh, common southern. Where most of America is used to southern Chinese cooking. In other words, the cooking that you generally get when you go into a Chinese restaurant throughout America is uh, is a rough, anglicized or Americanized version of Chinese southern cooking. Now, you get into other areas of Chinese cooking, and some of it is very different from any you've had. Uh, Some of it is, for example, extremely hot. It makes the... uh, it makes the uh, Mexican cooking look like mild stuff. I mean, it's really hot. Have you ever had that kind of Chinese food? It's really hot, and it's a dark color. It's cooked with dark uh, uh, soy sauces that are very dark in color, and it's uh, usually uh, with chopped nuts and one thing and another of that type, and it's extremely hot. And it comes in different varieties of hotness, different grades of hotness, and they're all very classic. The Chinese classical cooking is, in fact, uh, far more complex than uh, classical French cooking. It has a, an endless number of variations. And uh, some of it uh, is bland, some of it is hot, some of it is exotic, some of it is plain. It goes all the way up and down. But this, this morning, I remember we, uh, Dong and I were sitting there. It was early morning. You know, Sunday down in that area is great because early morning, the, all the area down at the Fulton Fish Market and all that stuff in that area has kind of slowed to a walk and nothing is happening. And so, and, and there's a kind of curious peace down there. So it was bright, sunny morning and we were we were painting. Uh, painting this bridge is what we were doing. And I was working with pen and ink and Dong was working with watercolors. He uses a, uh, actually he uses Dutch watercolors. He does not use Chinese watercolors although sometimes he will, to get a specific red. And so he's working way there. And uh, you could smell, you know, you could smell his cooking. This guy was cooking down there. And we're getting hungrier and hungrier because it was like uh, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning. We hadn't had anything to eat. And you can smell that faint aroma in the air. Even in, in New York, down there where where the river is pretty strong, you're down there and that you could smell fish and all that, the river... You could smell that faint aroma of garlic. You know, the Chinese use a lot of garlic in their cooking. Not all Chinese cooking, but certain kinds. You could smell garlic and you smell that faint uh, aftertaste in the air of ginger, which is a very curious smell. You you walk around in in uh, the Orient of the Great Day and you constantly smell this ginger. You smell ginseng. Uh, you know what this is? G-I-N-S-E-N-G. Ginseng root. It's a root, and uh, so you, you smell you smell this this stuff in the air. And I'm beginning to get very very hungry. So we 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 packed up our stuff and we went down the street, and we went into this place where they were they were cooking breakfast. Now Chinese breakfast is something else again. Uh, all kinds, and especially the ceremonial Sunday morning Chinese breakfast. A kind of a festive thing. They make these little cakes and all kinds of strange little. Little uh, little patty things and so on, and we were we were sitting at this table with four or five other Chinese and eating breakfast. And in the back, where the cook was cooking, you could hear this. He had a record going. Either he was listening to a Chinese radio station, and by the way, that's one of the groovy things about New York. If you look over your radio dial, you can hear you know regular Chinese broadcast constantly. Or did you know that? 
Well, a lot of people don't know this. They, they, this is one of the exciting things about living in New York. You can hear all kinds of ethnic radio. And I mean broadcast as a regular thing. And so you could hear it drifting out of the out of the background, you know, just faintly, you know, you could hear it. The sound of this this music just going away there and voices singing and, and the, he's working away back there and you could hear the chopping block when he's chopping they chop like mad, you know. They never seen a a Chinese chef uses his cleaver and his all his special knives are fantastic with him. And uh, yeah, he can take an onion, for example, just hold it in his hand, he goes, <laughs> he slices that onion mad so thin that you can read the editorial of the Daily News through it, you know, without missing a beat. <laughs> and then he takes it and turns it the other way. <laughs> now he's got it diced. It's just fine, beautiful, the way they use their knives. And of course, that's another thing, by the way, if, 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 if yeah, this music is drifting out, so we're sitting there, and that... Uh, and uh, Dong is looking at his painting, and he's, he's, we're talking about the painting. You can hear the girls singing on the record, and you could smell the, the, the garlic and the ginseng, and, and the trucks going by on the outside once in a while. And once in a while, a Chinese guy would run in real fast, you know, say something in Chinese and run back out again. And the, the, the whole quality of Sunday morning in Chinatown, you'll not find this anywhere else in America, with the possible exception of parts of San Francisco, the San Franciscan Chinatown. And uh, we sat there and had breakfast. And uh, it's, it's on moments like this, you know, where, where you're having breakfast in a Chinese, a real Chinese, Chinese, Chinese restaurant. And uh, the little tiny place, about the size of two phone booths laid end to end. About three little... Their decor, Chinese restaurant decors are usually the worst in the world. For some reason, the... The Chinese love fluorescent lights. And here we're sitting, you know, the fluorescent lights and the the, uh, the enamel tables and the, the four mica tops and all that, eating this fantastic, superb food and drinking this uh, this great tea. And in the back, uh, the, the, the chef is working away and getting ready for the big rush, which is going to come later on in the day, you know, and he's chopping up stuff and preparing things. And you could hear his record going, people singing. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, there are moments in New York City when, when it just hits you, as a resident of Manhattan in particular, it's really great to live in New York. You know, it, it, for all the bad stuff that are part of living in this great city, and there are those, no doubt. I mean, there are great problems living in the city of New York. But uh, they're just moments, just little isolated moments when you're walking along and you see something or you smell something. Uh, you see the way the light comes filtering down through 6th Avenue and you're sitting in a... It, it, there's a curious feeling of, of New York's a great city to live in. Now, you have to live in it to know that. <laughs> you really do. And uh, you have to keep reminding yourself of that. And, and sometimes something just hits you with an overwhelming... Uh, kind of a wave that, uh, that overwhelms you and says, you know, nowhere else in the country, in America, would you have this kind of feeling? Would you be able to do this sort of thing you're doing? To see the kind of people you're seeing and have the experiences you're seeing. That's one of the great things about New York. You, 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 can, you can literally uh, have a world trip in New York if you decide really to do it. And it's very close to the real thing. Don't kid yourself. But the Chinatown is close to the way it is in the Orient. And I can say this, having spent some time in and about various parts of the Orient. 
that there is a, a real feeling of the Orient there. And so we're sitting there eating away, and I asked Dong about this, and he said, oh, yeah, he said, it's a great, uh, he's, he's got a Chinese accent. He said, oh, very great. They call glad you like the food. I said, I really do, Dong. And they said, oh, you're not being polite. I said, polite? I <laughs> mean, polite. Uh, there's always that odd sense of uh, apology that comes through sometimes when something is really exotic. But uh, this is the way it sounds if you listen to China radio. Just bring it up there a bit. That's it. China. Where the dawn comes up like thunder on a China cross the bay. I've always wanted to visit China. I can't. I, I, it's of, of all the places in the world that, that that I've never gone to. Yeah, just keep that back. That's kind of nice. I like that. But of all the places in the world, I, I guess I've always wanted to, to visit China. So it's a very exciting concept. Uh, uh, but but mostly all, I, I'd like to visit not the big Chinese cities particularly. But to go way up in, in the what could be called the the wilderness of China, to go way up the Yangtze River. Uh, I had a friend uh, who used to be here at the radio station who lived on a Chinese junk, a real Chinese junk that was from China, and uh, had come from China just after World War One. Magnificent vessel, made of teak wood, and it had sh you know the shrine was built into it. And uh, I remember one day having having uh, dinner in in his junk. You might have seen it years ago. It used to used to be uh, docked up up around the Whitestone Bridge from time to time. And uh, he lived there for 30 years. He sailed it all around the world. And uh, I remember sitting at that that in that little tiny cabin aboard this Chinese junk. And uh, it was as far removed from a Chris Craft cabin cruiser. As Mars is removed from Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, it was another world. There's no way for a Westerner to understand the Orient. I hate to say that. That's, a lot of people are going to get mad to hear that. But it's, to me, the absolute truth. On the other hand, there's no way for the, for the Easterner to totally understand our mystique. So maybe in some ways Kipling was right. But it sure is groovy. <laughs> I mean, just sit down there on Mott Street. Chinatown. So if you visit New York, and you don't visit Chinatown, certainly if you visit Manhattan and you don't visit Chinatown, you're missing one of the great experiences available here in New York City. That's the hero. It is. You could just tell. See, he's going to lost them bad guys out. The one riding on the dragon. That's the bad guy. <laughs> Chinese opera. Probably the first time and probably the only time any of you ever hear it. Chinatown.